and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. Glad you guys could be here. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to click that five-star rating. Yes, you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Today on the show, awesome segments lined up. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's your barking dog. Yeah. We're going to go over the front door, how to get your dog to stop barking. Because, you know, it gets out of control, doesn't it? We want our dogs to stop. We want to be able to have people come in and have them greet nicely. Maybe you just need your dog to stop barking at the door. <laughs> We're going to talk more about it. Then comes training opportunities. There's lots of opportunities out there to train your dog. And we're going to teach you how to hone in on them. Then comes the first pets and the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or feel free to message me on social media as well. But before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is, why do frogs croak? Yes, why do frogs croak? I will give you the answer somewhere today in the podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, knock knock, who's there? Your dog barking. Done a few episodes on the front door. And it's time for another. <laughs> We're overdue because the front door is one of the most common things that people have trouble with, right? Whether it's your dog barking a ton or you just can't get them to calm down, the front door is a tough one. And the reason it's a tough one is because yeah, a couple things. Number one, instinctually, your dog wants to protect their home. Of course, you know, we all know that barking is a normal behavior. And that's something we got to talk about. It's natural and normal for your dog to bark. However, if it becomes too much or obsessive, that's not normal and that's not a good thing, okay? So that's the first thing. You know, barking is to be expected. Second thing is that you need to understand the front door is a process, okay? It takes a little time to get it under control usually. Sometimes dogs take right to it, you know? I mean, that's just the truth. Other times, eh, not so much. Third thing is, hey, with COVID going on, people haven't been having people over as much, and consequently, that actually can make your dog's behavior worse, right? Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. So a couple things to go over with this, really. Look, I'm just going to give you the nutshell version of how we get our, you know, excuse me, not how, but rather what the process is once our dog is trained when someone comes to the door, okay? Now, look, if it's an Amazon delivery and they're just dropping it off and walking away and we're not answering the door, that's one thing. I'm just going to tell my dog, hey, quiet and be done. We got to teach him to be quiet, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but here's the process. Knock, knock, knock. Somebody's coming to the door. Dog goes, woof, woof, woof. They bark. They crow crazy. Now, again, this is an ideal world, right? So this is what it looks like full throttle, fully trained. Here we are. I say, hey, quiet. They stop barking. I say, come here. They come over to me. I ask them uh, to come away from the door. Okay, give myself a decent amount of space. I put them in a sit. I put them in a stay. At this point, they don't even need a spot. They don't even need the reference of the place because that's how well-trained this can become. Okay, so back away from the door, sit, stay. I open the door. They continue staying. I invite my guest in. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Haven't seen you in so long, buddy, right? <laughs> then when I'm ready, when I feel comfortable, I say, hey, all right, Fluffy, you're good. Go ahead, say hi. I can release them. My release word is all right. Uh, I release them to say hi to my guests. They calmly go over happily, maybe a little excited, but not overexcited, right? Maybe a wagging tail. Uh, ideally, when they come up and greet, they should walk up to the person and then right as they're approaching them, actually turn into them and go sideways, almost parallel with the person. 
that's actually to show uh, a passive way. That's the dog showing, hey, I'm not looking for trouble, just kind of want affection, right? What do dogs do when they jump on people? They come straight at you and jump up. But a dog who comes in and turns at you, that's nice, right? Uh, that's their night. That's a nice way and a proper way for a dog to greet you. They say hello to the person, all is well. We come in, my dog walks away and loses interest. That's what it should be like to greet somebody at your front door. You should be able to have control over it. You should be able to put your dogs in a sit and stay. Okay. Now, let's let's actually talk about the whole COVID effect <laughs> that it's had on this whole exercise. Because man, I can tell you from firsthand experience, um, my Chihuahua Coco, right? Look, she was an adopted dog. She was a couple years old. You know, we don't know her exact age, but she definitely was at least a few years old when we adopted her. And oh man, I mean, the poor thing, she just, she was a wreck when we got her. I don't, I don't need to go into the whole details of it, but she was an absolute wreck, terrified of everybody, nervous as anything, uh, hated everybody. <laughs> okay. So we did a lot of training, a lot of work with her and she was doing so phenomenal. And especially after our move, uh, we moved down here, a whole new environment and everything. She did wonderful with the change and the transition. She was doing awesome out in public, especially kids used to make her nervous. She was taking treats from kids out in public. She was doing awesome. And then COVID hit. And, you know, look, I mean, we, we moved to a new place right before COVID. So I can't exactly say I have 50 friends down here because that's just, I feel like I just moved here from a social standpoint uh, for the simple fact that we're just, you know, we've just been getting back out there and being able to, um, you know, reintroduce into the world. So <laughs> it's a little crazy that we haven't had anybody over. We just don't have people over to this home like we used to in Orlando. Yeah, we were much more established. We had lots of friends. It was, uh, you know, it's, it was a big move down here. So consequently, my dog has suffered for it. Coco has suffered for it. Not suffered. You know what I mean. Her behavior has has gone down uh, and not how it used to be. It has suffered because of the effects, um, the social effects of COVID, right? So just by not having people over here consistently actually sent her backwards in her training. And then all of a sudden, people are coming now and you know, we've had contractors come over and things like, and, and she's a little more on alert than she ever was before. So we're fixing it. We're working on it. She's actually been doing better lately. Um, part of it was, you know, <laughs> the funny thing is go back to the first session segment today, training opportunities. That was part of the problem, guys. We couldn't create training opportunities for her. I can only recreate my wife and I knocking at the door, pretending, <laughs> uh, and not to mention once the door opens, it's familiar people. I can only recreate that so many times before a smart dog is going to go, most are smart, most pick up on it, <laughs> before they're going to pick up on it and go, hey, you're not someone strange, you know? Okay, so what? So then when the stranger comes to the door, it's like, holy crap, that just blew my mind. You're not the person who always comes in, and then it can make it work. You know, so that's the thing. It's really been tough over these past few years because we've seen that. We've seen it. I've seen it across the board where everybody's really been having some issues with this when they haven't had people over a lot, Okay. So yeah, man, Ugh, tough, 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 tough. So, all right, all right, all right. How do, how do we fix this? How do we get the door under control? I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out guys. First thing we need to be doing is teaching our dog a spot. Okay. That's where it begins. Teaching a spot command, leashing our dogs up, guiding them over to the bed saying, go spot, go place, go to your bed, whatever command you want to put with it, guide them over. The second those feet touch the bed, you say, good boy, good girl. And then feed them a treat. 
First few times, it's going to be that. Then we can start incorporating a get to their spot, good sit, good, and then give the reward. Okay, that's how we start training a spot command. After we do a spot, sit, then we're going to add in a stay command, teaching them to stay on their spot. You're going to practice the spot command on its own ad nauseum. <laughs> okay, you need to practice it a lot. You need to practice it consistently and get your dog staying. Sometimes they're going to stay for 30 seconds. Sometimes you make them stay for five minutes before you release them. Okay, that way they understand it doesn't really matter how long, but they have to stay until you release them. Okay, then we're going to take the spot, the place, the bed, and we're going to move it by the front door. I'm going to tell them to go to their spot, and then I'm going to start backing away to the front door, te teaching them to stay. Then I'm going to open the door. Now, again, guys, always leash up your dogs when doing when doing these kind of uh, exercises. It's very important because if your dog does try to try to bolt out the door, you can at least step on the leash, pick up the leash, manipulate the leash in a way that you can control them and obviously keep them safe. If you really need to, you can also put like even a 10 foot training leash on them. Give yourself even more space. There's nothing wrong with that, but I highly, highly recommend, please, you should always leash up your dogs when you're training, guys. Whenever you're running through an exercise like this, you should always leash up your dog because you need to be able to guide and direct them. You don't want to forfeit control. That's like the last thing you want to do when you're trying to train, okay? So again, just from a safety standpoint, you want to leash up your dog if you're going to be opening your front door. Uh, you know what I mean? But you also want to try to position yourself in a way that you're always between your dog and the front door, okay? Really simple, right? Uh, be smart about this. Set them up for success. Set yourself up for success, okay? Uh, so sit and stay. Open the front door. Then we close the front door, continue to stay, give them a treat, and then release them. Okay, you're going to practice this exercise with nobody at the door consistently. Okay, now if your dog does start getting, uh, if your dog is reactive, let's talk about this before we move forward in the front door exercise, because you can be working the, uh, the spot and this next part at the same time. If your dog is like really, 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 really reactive to the doorbell or the knock, we need to desensitize them a little bit. So what you need to do is while they're in there, sit and stay on a spot, knock on the door. Ring the doorbell. They're going to bark, 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 and you're going to go, hey, ch -ch -ch, quiet. Okay? You can redirect them. Lots of people like to use different noises. Uh, I use a snap a lot. I do use the ch noise. I don't recommend the ch noise very often because, quite frankly, most people do it wrong. I'll be honest. You have to have some energy behind it. It has to be a ch, not a ch. You hear the difference? <laughs> you can literally feel my ch through the microphone. You get it? Uh, so think about that. But the whole idea is we kind of want to jolt them out of it, right? Jolt them out of the barking. So once they stop barking, we're going to say, good, good, quiet, and reward it. Then guess what we're going to do again? We're going to knock, 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 ring the doorbell again. They're going to start barking and get them to redirect quiet. And you'll notice within about five minutes, I can guarantee you, rinse and repeating this, your dog's going to come off that barking really fast. Okay? And that's the idea. We're teaching them to control it. We're teaching them when you say enough, it's enough. Now, you're going to have to practice this a lot, okay? Rinse and repeat this exercise a lot. Your dog will always bark at it. You know, that's never going to go away because I know that's the next question that a lot of you are already thinking out there. Well, David, I want my dog to bark at the front door. You're never going to eliminate it. You won't. You know, like you, you, you can if you try really, really, really hard and you really condition it hard and put a really much bigger punishment to it. But the reality is instinct is very strong and they're going to bark. You're just teaching them to manage it. 
telling them to stop when you need them to stop. And they can, you know, they'll obviously bark when they need to bark when the doorbell rings. Okay. So we're desensitizing them to it. We're not totally getting rid of it. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, but the whole idea is again, you're teaching them quiet. When you say quiet, they need to stop barking and they get rewarded for it. Okay. So Again, we're teaching a spot and being able to open and close the door. And then the next step is we can start desensitizing using that doorbell or knocking noise uh, to teach them to be quiet. Okay. From there, okay, from there, we, we kind of have to take it up a notch. We got to bring somebody to the front door. Now, I recommend bringing like another family member, somebody else who lives in the household. So it's not too overexciting of a person, somebody that they're very used to that come either comes over all the time or better yet, they live there with you. Uh, because that'll be the most, you know, like, eh, who cares? They see you all the time. Uh, and that's where we want to start. We want to start controlled. Okay. So you're going to set them up where somebody comes to the door, rings the doorbell, they bark. You're going to say, Hey, go to your spot, sit, stay, leash them up. Okay. Very, very important. Leash them up. Okay. I don't care how good they are at staying on their spot at this point. Leash them up. All right. Uh, then we're going to open the door. Now I can pretty much guarantee that the first time you open the door with a person there, your dog's going to hop off the spot. So be ready for it. No big deal. Shut the door, pick up the leash, guide them back, go to say, Hey, go spot, sit, stay, try it again. You can rinse and repeat that as many times as you need to. Side note here. You want to go further, right? We want to take our training step by step by step further, baby steps at a time here. But if you get to a point where your dog does the wrong thing, you're going to hit rewind, go back to the last place you got success and reward it again, and then try to move forward, right? So if I open the door and the dog pops up, I'm going to shut the door, put them back on their spot and try it again. Say, stay, then try to open the door again. If they pop up, close the door, put them back on their spot. Okay. Rinse and repeat, go back to the last place you got success in order to move forward, right? Okay, then once my dog stays on the spot, door is open, person standing outside, I'm gonna say, hey, do me a favor, just hang out outside for a minute for me, don't come in yet. We're gonna hang out with the door open. I know Florida people, it's summer, it's hotter than hell. <laughs> you don't wanna stay with your door open too often, try to practice this in the mornings. Uh, obviously not at night, cause you don't want the mosquitoes coming in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, look, you have to. You gotta leave the door open for a little bit, let them get used to looking at the person, you being able to walk over, reward them, and they continue to stay. We're gonna sit here for a couple minutes. I'm gonna be able to have a conversation with the person hanging out outside while my dog continues to stay. Keep rewarding them. Okay. Then I'm going to invite the person in. Usually that's a trigger for the dog to pop up again. Of course, no big deal. Ask the person to go back outside, pick up the leash, put them back on their spot. Start again, bring them back inside. If they pop up again, tell them to go back outside, put the dog back on the spot, sit, stay, try it again. Person comes inside, dog stays. Oh, good boy. Good stay. Feed him a treat. Feed him a couple treats for that one. Right. Okay. Anytime they throw out a new behavior that you've been looking for, give them a couple treats for it. Not just one. Okay, give them a few and not a handful few, like a treat, then another treat, then another treat, then another treat. That's what I mean by give them a few, not a jack, not, not a handful, right? They're not going to be able to distinguish as well of, oh, I got a ton of treats for that, right? Okay, so that's, that's the point I'm trying to make uh, in their brain, right? Is that, hey, you got a ton of treats for that last one. They fed you like four times. I want to do that again. See? All right. So, um, all right, so the person standing right inside the doorway, dog is still sitting and staying, all is well. I'm going to go over to them, pick up the leash, then release them off the bed. We're going to approach the person slowly, controlled, making sure I still have my dog's focus. If they start pulling me toward the person, I immediately turn around, go back to their spot, sit and stay, wait it out, wait for them to relax, try again. 
Okay. I want to be able to walk up to that person two to three feet away from them with my dog sitting and staying next to me and totally cool with it. The moment my dog gets to say hi is once they don't care about that person anymore. You see what I'm saying? Once they relax and come off of that overexcitement, that's the behavior I want to reward. I don't want to give affection and reward and strength and overexcited behavior, right? I want them to relax and be calm. So once they're relaxed and calm, then I'll approach the person on leash. I let them split second hello to the person and immediately turn and walk away and feed them. Okay? Same thing again. Rinse and repeat. Split second hello, turn and walk away, feed. Split second hello, turn and walk away, feed. Split second hello, turn and walk away, feed. Then two second hello, turn and walk away, feed. Two second hello, turn. Five second hello, turn and walk away, feed. You see the pattern here. The whole concept is if we keep it short and sweet, then the dog will never get overexcited. They never practice the overexcited behavior. The only thing they practice is, oh, I walk up to the person, I say hi, and I turn and walk away. And if you do this, you'll literally create this physical pattern of your dog just walking up, saying hi to a person, turning and walking away. Okay? That's how we control the front door. <laughs> Whew. It's a lot, isn't it? I know. It's a lot. And it really, it can take a couple weeks but I promise you, if you practice it a ton without anybody at the door to begin with, if you really strengthen that sit and stay on the spot on the bed and open and close that door and ring the doorbell and desense it and open and close the door and open and close it and get them used to that, then once you bring a person into the picture, it becomes a lot easier. First few times when you bring a person to the door, guys, don't get discouraged. They might fail a little bit. It's okay. It's okay. Just hit reset. Try it again. It might take 20 minutes to get the person inside your house the first time. Fair warning. So it needs to be somebody that is aware of this and will work with you. <laughs> give them a heads up. Okay. Tell them that, you know, get, and don't forget, that's another thing. Don't forget to give the people instructions, right? They need to know, hey, don't just come inside when I open the door. Do me a favor. Just hang out outside. Just don't, you know, just straight up tell them, hey, just don't do anything until I tell you to. <laughs> and ideally, another little side note, ideally, you really want that person to be ignoring your dog. No eye contact, pretending like your dog doesn't exist. It's going to help out a lot. Someone who over-engages the dog, it's not going to help calm them down. It's only going to make it worse. Okay, so hopefully it's a person who will participate in a good way, <laughs> will listen to you. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's a lot. I know there's a, there's a lot there to train your dog to stop being crazy at the front door. Okay, but look, when it really comes down to it, if you need to get your dog to stop barking, you got to get them to stop barking. Leash them up, use a correction, redirect them with touch corrections, um, get in between them and the door and, and physically, you know, you want to use your body language to physically, in a way, claim the door and push them away from it. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? Like get in between them and the door and say, Hey, no, Hey, no little touch correction. Nothing wrong with that guys. Okay. When it comes down to it, you've got to tell your dog, no, if the barking is obsessive, you've got to tell them to stop it. And then more importantly, once they do stop it, you got to tell them you love it. Good boy, good girl, and give them a treat and reward it. If they go back to barking, right back to redirecting and quieting it down, punishing the behavior to get it to decrease. Okay, remember guys, the only way to get a behavior to decrease, this is very important, the only way that a behavior decreases is through some form of punishment. What's the definition of punishment? Anything an animal works to avoid. If they don't work to avoid it, it's not a punishment. Okay, so if you've got an overbarking dog, you have to do something to punish that behavior. You have to, you have to, have to, have to. You can try to redirect it. Well, sometimes that works, but I'm telling you, when it comes down to it, there's got to be some consequence uh, for them to want to stop. It has to be something for them to want to work to avoid. Okay, so keep that in mind. 
break it down into baby speed, baby steps, baby pieces, uh, that little tiny chunks of info. That's how you have to view this. Add it all up to the bigger picture, and that is how you get the front door under control. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, training opportunities. Yes, there are lots of opportunities to train your dog. You just have to seek them out. You have to find them, you know? And I, I often say, well, let's, well, I'm going to give you an example. We're going to start off with an example and talk about these opportunities. If I have a client who has a dog and the dog is reactive, right? Reactive on leash. You take them out for a walk and they either get overexcited or maybe have some aggressive tendencies. Either way, they see another dog out on leash out on the walk and they lose it, okay? So what's my client's natural inclination, if, if they're out on the walk and they see another dog that they know their dog's going to react to, what's their, what's their natural inclination? What are they going to do? They're going to turn and hightail it out of there. <laughs> now, this is before they've started working with me, right? Before we started training, this is what they tell me a lot of time. Well, I go, well, what do you do when you see another? I go, oh, I avoid it. <laughs> I avoid it at all costs. Now, as you, as you may know from experience out there, you can't always avoid these things. So... I tell my clients, you have to stop looking at it as something you work to avoid. Oh, that's a definition, isn't it? Doesn't that fit a definition? Anybody who's listened to my podcast before, what is that? Anything an animal works to avoid, that's the definition of punishment. My client is actively working to avoid other dogs, right? So if they're working to avoid it, it's actually a form of punishment. Isn't that fascinating? Um, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Though, but haha, it's kind of cool. Um, and I, look, tra- I, I always training is always happening. Rather, behavior should I say is always happening. That's what I, that's what I say. Behavior is always happening, whether we are actively doing something or passively doing something. This stuff is constantly going on around you, with your dogs, yourselves, everything. So. Always reference that psychology, guys. Going back to that terminology is so important. So it's a great moment to stress that. And there's an opportunity to use that. Ha-ha, training opportunity. Look at that. Here was a training opportunity that presented itself, right, to show you (laughs) how awesome is that. I wasn't even planning on it. Cool. Got to take those training opportunities. That's why it may seem like I'm ADD sometimes all over the place. But what I see is a moment to teach you something. A moment, hey, here's how this can tie into what we're talking about and give you an extension give you even more info, you know, training opportunities, man, find them. Um, <laughs> okay. So instead of my client working to avoid this trigger working to avoid that dog, I need them to go now, nah, instead of walking away, I'm going to go walk back toward that and work through it. I'm going to take this training opportunity, 
right? And capitalize on it. So you have to start viewing these things as training up. Now there's all, look, there's all kinds of training opportunities. The moments present themselves throughout the day all the time, especially if you have a young puppy, man, training opportunities abound. Like it's never ending, but you have to see them. You have to speak a little dog, you know, uh, to be able to find these moments. And so again, that's part of my job is to bridge that communication gap. And that's what we're going to do today is talk about finding those training opportunity moments. Look, it, it starts really basic. It does. It starts with the obvious stuff. A sit, a stay, a lie down, a drop it command, a leave it command. How about the recall, getting your dog to come back to you? Um, redirection, teaching them a spot, go to your crate. Those are wonderful training opportunities that you should be practicing every day if you have a puppy, and I would say weekly with your adult dogs. You should just take a moment, spend five, 10 minutes, once a week, that's all it's gonna take, going over these commands with your adult dog. If you've been doing this for a while, if you spent a lot of time training your dog as a puppy, then it's kind of just a good refresher. These are good training opportunities, okay? Um, but these are things you should be regular, regularly, regularly <laughs> doing with your dog, okay? So a sit, a stay, that kind of structured training that we all think of, you know, as training, those are obviously training opportunities that you should be taking advantage of on a regular basis. Now, you know what the next one I'm gonna say is, the next training opportunity you should be taking advantage of on a daily basis, no matter the age of your dog, daily basis, what is it, guys? All my regular listeners, it's a walk. <laughs> Get out there, walk your dog. That is the best training opportunity there is, guys. Okay, these are the obvious ones. This is the stuff that sticks out and go, yeah, of course, David, yeah. But daily walks are what's going to fix this. You know, look, if you have a dog who's got issues out on the walk, whether it's reactivity, pulling, you know, if it's just pulling, uh, barking, jumping, whatever the case may be, whatever your lizards, your Florida people, if your your dogs are lizard happy when you're out on the, the only way to get better at it is through practice, repetition, consistency, okay? So, Training opportunities have to be that as well. Now, we're going to talk about a specific training opportunity today, the one we started with. You know, I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. Um, when we have dogs that are reactive, a lot of times it comes from a lack of confidence. And that's kind of what we're going to hone in on right now, a dog with a lack of confidence. Um, how do we build confidence? How do we find training opportunities that allow us to build confidence you know, it's going to be things that are maybe unconventional, things you haven't thought of. The first thing is the walk. Look, I, I just, I have to say it. When we have, when we have a timid dog or a dog that needs confidence boosting or a dog that's reactive because they need walks, they need consistent walks to get them mentally better. And, you know, and again, proper walk all about that. We're not talking about a proper walk today. Go check out my other segments on that. Um, but it starts there. Now, one of the other, one of the first things that I usually do with a timid dog is obstacles. So what do I mean by this? Um, look, I'll, 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 I'll go back to, you know, let's go back to Penny Lane. Let's use my Miss Penny Lane. Um, she was the first dog that my wife and I got and she was half lab, half Great Dane. And, um, I think, I, I think I told the story a long time ago about when I adopted her, but to make a long story short, she was timid as hell guys. Uh, they told me she didn't I, look, I, I knew I was going to be getting into dog training at that moment. This was, I think I was what, 20, two, 23, something like that. Um, I knew I was getting into dog training, but I really hadn't gotten into it. So I knew we needed a dog that was going to help me. And I wanted to help that dog. You know what I mean? It needed to be a mutual thing. And so she was just perfect 
for, <laughs> she was perfect with her timidness because it allowed me to really work on these um, confidence building skills. So let me just run through this with you and show you how even in my first meeting with her, my first interaction with her, within 20 minutes, we had changed a lot, a lot for her in 20 minutes. Ready? Okay. So it was actually one of our friends that came across her, uh, you know, in the cages at a PetSmart and an adoption. And my wife and I, we wanted a big dog. We did. We wanted a really big dog, but we didn't know what our living situation was going to be. So yeah, it kind of limits you. So we played this whole like, ah, what do we get? What do we get? Um, we wanted a great Dane ideally, but come on, you know. So, <laughs> so our friend came across Penny. Penny was labeled half lab, half great Dane, four and a half months old. And she's, they, they said she's terrified of everything, doesn't walk on a leash, just pitiful. Now, we opened up the, I'll never forget, opened it up and I lifted her out of there, a little 42 pound puppy, <laughs> lifted her out of there and stood her up and she just hunched over, you know, like a scare puppy, head down, tail tucked and the big old giant paws just out with the brakes on, you know? <laughs> And we tried to pull the forward on the leash and she put the brakes on. Now there was a lot going on around us, a lot of stimulation, a lot of other dogs, a lot of other people, a lot of... So in order to help her, here's the first thing, in this moment, in this situation, I realized, you know something, maybe this is all a little much. It's a lot of stimulation. Let's take her over to a quiet corner of the store, right? So that's the first thing is you have to read the situation. When you have a timid dog, you don't want to provide too much stimulation too fast, so sometimes it's a good idea to just kind of lift them up, get them out of there, quiet things down and start over. So I put her down in the corner of the store and she was still presented the same thing, you know, breaks on it. Now I admit, I, I, I kind of, I got this from a book I read years ago. Uh, and so this is just why I tried it because I didn't know anything back then and it worked. It worked really well. And I, I still use this technique today. I took her tail and I pulled it out because it was tucked, right? And I just started very lightly stroking her tail in an upward motion to bring her tail out. Guys, the tail is connected to that brain like you wouldn't believe. So just bringing the tail out and presenting it in a more confident position brought that head up. You know, it's really cool. Um, and we just watched her come out of her shell just by stroking that tail up. And then once she became confident, then I went, hey, you know, good girl gave her a little love and she liked that. Notice I didn't give her love when she was timid and scared. I waited until she presented some confidence, and that's when I chose to reinforce it. Training opportunities, guys. Finding the right moments to reinforce and strengthen the right behaviors. Okay? So, you know, it was really cool that she started to come out of her shell, and then sure enough, okay, I just said, hey, come here. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Just tried to entice her to come toward me and she took a step or two and I kind of pulled a little on the leash. She resisted at first. I pulled a little more. She got just very lightly, gently guided her fork, encouraging her. And sure enough, she started stepping forward. Guys, within 20 minutes, within 20 minutes from pulling this dog out of her cage, and I knew nothing, I knew nothing. This was when I like, literally knew nothing from the few things I had read and a little bit of instinct, I'm sure telling me what to do. I got her walking on leash. I remember I walked her down the aisle right back to the adoption people and I looked at them and went, yep, this one. And I mean, their jaws kind of went to the floor. They couldn't believe it. And sure, I'm kind of tapping myself on the back a little bit here. I'm like, Come on, I was damn proud of myself. It was, a, it was an awesome, pivotal moment for myself and my training, you know? Um, man, I miss Penny. What a good dog. 
Uh, so anyway, training opportunities, guys. Timid dogs need to be pulled out of their shell. They need to be pushed through these moments to gain confidence. So this brings me to another training opportunity, Lowe's and Home Depot, two of my favorite stores to visit with dogs, more so than a pet store, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Pet stores, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But man, Lowe's and Home Depot are some of the best training opportunities, whether it's a timid dog or not, okay? Uh, look, first of all, they're very dog friendly and they encourage well-behaved dogs. Notice that <clears throat> that disclaimer, all you owners out there. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I want you to work through and train these things. But look, you all know what it, you know what I'm getting at. But people who bring the you know ill-behaved dogs who don't care, who aren't trying to make it better, and they're just making everybody else's day worse. Like, come on. <laughs> but again, Lowe's, Home Depot. Okay, so. First of all, just the noise, just the echoey environment, the noises, the banging, all the stuff going on, really good to work them through it. But you can also get crazy. Go out to the gardening section. Have your dog hop over some obstacles. Um, Which, speaking of, Penny, that's kind of the full circle here. Uh, Penny also used to not like to go over thresholds of doors. Let's side note real quick because I meant to finish it up with this. Threshold of a door. This is the kind of an obstacle thing we can work through. Now, it's no different. If I have a dog who's just timid in general, I, I take them to Home Depot and I get them to jump on a couple bags of mulch. You know what I mean? A couple feet off the ground. It's a different feel. The texture is different. It gets them comfortable with it. Well, it's no different. Penny hits the brakes when I when I would uh, hit the threshold of a door. I'd have her on leash and I would just hold the leash a little tight. If she's backing up, the leash stays a little bit tight. She moves forward, tension disappears. And then I encourage her forward. She comes up the threshold, she gets a treat. You see what I'm saying? I have to push her through, find these training opportunity moments, push her through to gain that confidence. Okay. I go to I, pet stores. Let's, we'll talk about pet stores real quick. Uh, pet stores can be a great thing and a bad thing. If your dog is really easily distracted at a lot of overstimulation, guys, don't take them there immediately then. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Work them up to it. Uh, hell, even when I go to the pet store, even when I'm ready, I don't just walk in. I take my time. I walk around outside in the shopping center in the shade on the sidewalk out in the front for a little while. Make sure I've got their attention. Make sure I have their focus. Work through other distractions. Teach them to ignore people they're walking by. That's where your leave it command comes in handy. Leave it. Good. Leave it. Keep their focus. Reward them after they pass by the person. Okay. There's all these training. Even, even going to the pet store. Look at how many training opportunities I can have. Ignoring people out front. Once we get inside, ignoring everything inside, oh my goodness. Um, But I like to work on little things at the pet store. Like, of course, the leave it command is going to be one of the biggest ones, guys. All the toys, all the treats, everything like that. Your leave it command needs to be strong before you go to the pet store. So once you get there, all these opportunities to train, you've already got a leg up. Okay. Then I like to work on putting my dog in a sit, in a stay, dropping the leash, walking a few feet away, coming back, reward. All these awesome training moments. If you can teach your dog a sit and a stay and walking a couple feet away in a pet store, man, that's awesome. That's impressive. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't work through these things, if you don't take the mo- take the time to find and, and go out and do these training opportunities, how are you going to get there? You know what I mean? Um, so take these opportunities. Another thing, I go to, I take uh, the dogs now, <laughs> I take the dogs to playgrounds. Make sure there's no kids there, of course. (laughs) We don't need dogs and kids mixing like that. Uh, That could be a little unsafe. But no, I'll go to a playground when there's nobody there. You can get the dogs to jump up on the picnic tables. Again, 
teaching them to climb. I get them to jump up onto the playground equipment and go down the slide, teach them to walk up the slide. It's uncomfortable, it's awkward, it's weird, but it's a training opportunity that teaches them to be comfortable no matter what's going on. Training opportunities are out there left and right. You just have to find them, okay? Uh, look, our, our downtown here is is quaint, small, and wonderful. I hope it stays that way. It probably won't. Uh, what can you do? Everybody's moving here. It's it's a wonderful state. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, fortunately, uh, but it's a wonderful small area. But yet, there's there's downtown festivals that go on. How about that? Talk about an awesome training opportunity. Flea markets, festivals, craft festivals, all these things that go on in your local areas that you can seek out as a training opportunity. Now, again, guys, let's just make that side note that we want to set our dogs up for success for these opportunities, okay? What I'm talking about is I don't want you to just, you know, you've never taught your dog really much of anything. (laughs) Don't go out to a flea market. Don't go out to a fair. It's going to be too much stimulation for your dog. They're not going to know what to do with it because you haven't taught them, and you're going to be out of luck. So, Here's what you need to be able to go out into public in order to find these opportunities. Here's what you have to have first. You have to have a sit, a solid sit with your dog, a solid stay, a solid lie down, leave it, and drop it. Those more than anything are are so vital for success when you go out and seek out these training opportunities, okay? Now, without, without, I, I think it goes without saying your leash work should be good. Not perfect, okay? I understand if you have to work through some of these things, that's the whole eight training opportunities. Uh, but it should be decent. If your leash work isn't decent, work around, work on it around your neighborhood. Work on it around your house, in your driveway, in your backyard, on your patio. You don't need much space to work through these things, but work on their focus, work on their walk, work on commands. If you can set yourself up for success with these things, start slowly building them up, then you can seek out all the training opportunities that the world has to offer. There's so many guys, and training opportunities are how we fix behavior, okay? So instead of finding that problem where I go, oh my gosh, there's that scary dog I don't want to have to walk by because my dog reacts, instead go, you know what? It's a training opportunity. As long as it's safe (laughs) to approach those opportunities, by all means, take them. Seek out those training opportunities and make a better dog. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on the first pets, we will be talking about Andrew Jackson. Now, Andrew Jackson, he was the seventh president of the United States, and he served from 1829 to 1837. As a child, Jackson knew a life of work and hardship. Now, he actually was around animals from a young age, working as a saddle maker, and by the age of 13, he would join the local militia as a courier. This tough upbringing earned him the nickname of Old Hickory later in life. There was once even an attempt on his life while he was president, and while the assassin's attempt failed when his gun misfired, that allowed Jackson to beat him senseless with his walking stick. As president, there were a few animals that joined Jackson and his wife Rachel in the White House. Now, horses remained his favorite animal, of which they had plenty. They had ponies, they had racing fillies named Emily, Lady Nashville, and Bolivia, as well as as a champion racehorse named Thruxton. Jackson was known for being a tough son of a bitch, and a disagreement over Thruxton led to a duel. Yes, one of three duels that actually he had participated in in his life. In March of 1806, a race between Thruxton and Joseph Irwin's undefeated horse, 
Plowboy was canceled. Now, according to the rules of the race, Irwin was to pay a forfeiture fee. Now, Irwin and his son-in-law, Charles Dickinson, they disagreed, not Charles Dickens, Charles Dickinson, uh, disagreed as to the amount owed. Now, at some point in the argument, Dickinson ended up insulting Jackson's wife, and he challenged him to a duel. Dickinson struck first, hitting Jackson in the chest, but Jackson was able to return fire, hitting Dickinson in the abdomen and killing him. Jackson was left with the bullet lodged near his heart for the rest of his life. Now, all of this happened before Jackson was president, but Thruxton did join him in the White House as well. One of Jackson's favorite horses was Sam Patch. Now, Sam Patch was actually named after one of America's first celebrities. Now, I had actually never heard of Sam Patch before this, so I learned something new today. Sam Patch was the first American daredevil who only lived to the age of 30. Uh, now, Jackson loved this horse so much that there is a presidential portrait of him riding Sam. Now, Jackson also had new stables built at the White House to accommodate all of his horses. Now, after the British had burned the White House in 1814, a temporary stable had been built. James Monroe, uh, Monroe moved the stables from uh, near the West Wing from the East Wing in 1819. But when Jackson brought his horses, the stables were full. So he had Congress approve construction of a freestanding brick stable trimmed with sandstone about 100 yards east of the East Wing. But perhaps the most notorious pet of Andrew Jackson was his pet parrot, Paul, or Paul. I believe it's actually Paul, short for Polly. It's spelled P-O-L-L. Now, originally he had bought the bird. This was an African gray, and he bought it for a uh, as a gift for his wife. Now, we all know that parrots can live a very long time. And after his wife, Rachel, had passed away, he took care of it. Humor, humor, <laughs> humorously... <laughs> Humorously, the bird was actually taught to curse. It became most notorious for swearing at the former president's own funeral. Yes, the bird outlived him. Now, a quote from the reverend that was proceeding over the service. Before the sermon, and while the crowd was gathering, a wicked parrot that was a household pet got excited and commenced swearing so loud and long as to disturb the people and had to be carried from the house. He went on to report that the presidential parrot was excited by the multitude and let loose perfect gusts of cuss words. People were, quote, horrified and awed at the bird's lack of reverence. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. I actually used to work at an animal show and <clears throat> I left a little bit of my legacy behind. I lasted at least for a little while. I taught a bird to say a very not nice thing. <laughs> I tried every time I walked by it to... <clears throat> reinforce something not nice. I won't say it on, on here. <laughs> and sure enough, I had a buddy who still worked at the show after I had left, and I got a text from him one day saying my legacy lived on. <laughs> the answer to today's trivia question, why do frogs croak? It's to attract a mate. Yes, male frogs will croak to get the attention of a female frog. You know, even if they don't see or, see or hear one, they will still do it. Now, croaking also will sometimes happen, or ribbiting, as it sometimes is called, uh, could happen if they get startled or injured, or oftentimes even to protect territory. Now, croaking is definitely more prevalent and common during the frog's mating season in the spring after it rains. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Rossi from Rhode Island. 
Rossi says, my dog uh, is eight months old and is going through a bit of a fear phase. He's lunging and barking on leash. Is there any way to better understand and support him during this time? Yeah, uh, you know, Rossi, thanks for listening again. Uh, I know you're a longtime listener, and this is, uh, I think, the second question you've sent in, so I really appreciate it. And yeah, you know, there are some things we can do here. You know, we got to go back to basics. That's the first thing I want you to hone in. First question I would really ask you in this scenario, I would ask you, uh, is do you have good focus from your dog, right? Can you get your dog's focus? Can you redirect your dog's focus in a multitude of scenarios? Because if you don't have that focus really under control uh, before you get out, before you have you know, a trigger such as another dog come at you, it's, it's going to be hard. You know, it's going to be hard to redirect and be able to control them. So um, that's, that's what you have to start with. Start at home, go back to the basics, go back to the kissy noise. You know, I re- we really want to make sure that that redirection is solid. Can you walk into the other room from your dog? Your dog is, you know, completely distracted and you can kissy noise and he comes running over, sitting down and looking up at you. Do you have that level of control of focus when there's no distractions? Um, that's the first thing. Then you want to build upon that. Go out into the backyard, work on it. Go out into the front yard on a nice long training leash and work on those redirections, okay? And maybe the front yard may not be the best of idea. And I know that I just said that out loud. <laughs> you know, you may have dogs walking by. And again, you want to try and work with less distractions. Maybe find an empty dog park. Certain times of day, dog parks will be empty. Head out there and see if you can work on the redirections and recall in those scenarios, okay? Um, you know, that's where it's got to begin. And then you also have to ask the question of the quality of the walk. How is the quality of the walk? Is your dog really walking with you and focused on the walk? Or are they already distracted by other things before you even get to one of those big triggers? You know, because if your dog spins the walk with the nose to the ground, is all over the place, and uh, it's going to be hard to get, once again, if you don't have that focus, don't have the ability to guide and direct it, once you hit that trigger, you're going to have a hard time. Okay. Now, what I really like to do is ideally in order to train him, you know, in order to work him through this, you know, it kind of goes back to the other segment today, right? Kind of goes back to training opportunities. You have to start viewing these triggers as a training opportunity. Uh, And really what I want you to do, it's very basic. You're going to walk toward the trigger. If your dog, I, and again, I, you know, I don't know exactly what the levels are of, of the reaction and how it escalates, but basically if your dog even so much as hones in on the other dog from a distance, Okay, you're going to turn and walk the other way and try to redirect the focus, get him to look up at you and reward that focus. Now, if you feel like you have your dog's focus as you're walking away and all is well, turn around and try to walk back toward the trigger. If he reacts, okay, you're going to turn and walk the opposite direction, redirect, regain focus, reward the focus. If you feel like he's given up, turn around, walk back. So what we're trying to convey to your dog is, boy, every time he barks, right, he goes the opposite direction and he's not getting what he wants. But every time he relaxes, you go back toward the dog and he gets rewarded for it again. And then if he stays calm as you keep walking toward the dog, hopefully from a distance at this point, uh, you're going to keep telling him good boy and rewarding it. Good boy and rewarding it. Okay. That's the concept we want to make to him. Walk toward the dog and relax, reward and praise. Okay. React toward the dog. We walk away and redirect it. You calm down and I get your focus, reward and praise. We turn around and walk back toward the dog. You stay calm, reward and praise. Okay. And then ideally you want to be able to work it toward where you can eventually just walk by the distraction and praising him as you're walking by and then stop and giving that treat after you get by the person. But you have to walk, you know, you have to get toward it first. So it's going to be a bit of a process. Um, but you know, the way you can support your dog is by working him through it, getting him through these distractions, taking these moments to try to actually work him through it and not just get by it, you know? Uh, but yeah, you have to set him up for success, work on focus first, a little bit of leash work, uh, and, and maybe some 
different areas and different stimulus going on that's not the trigger, right? Like a different, a different the dog bark, that kind of thing, sorry. Uh, <laughs> work them through those and then work them up to the actual trigger. Now, one more little side note for you. Um, the first few times you work try are trying to actually work through the trigger, ideally, it would be, you know, you want the other dog and the other person to be somebody you know. So if you can have a friend come and walk down the street and then you meet them on this, you know, that kind of thing, set them up so that way it's somebody you can work with and take your time with and they know what's going on. Uh, that's the ideal way to set this up. So that way you can control it just that much more. Um, but the real, the, the, the idea is to get your dog ignoring the other dogs. They don't need to say hi. They don't need to sniff each other. You just need to get him ignoring them. Then you can work up to the sniffing stuff. And that's a different, that's a different thing. <laughs> so I hope that helps you out. Next question. This is from Andrea from Charleston, South Carolina. Andrea says, simple question. How do I get my seven-month-old golden retriever to stop peeing in the house? I am at my wit's end. He will go pee right in front of the door, but won't tell us. Help. Andrea, I can relate to this so much. I my my golden retriever years and years ago, um, he was difficult to housebreak. Uh, we 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 really you know we got the pooping under control, but man, the peeing he did the same thing. He would go over to that sliding glass door and just pee right in front of it and not let us know. Um, look, it goes back to housebreaking in general and the general rules of housebreaking. Now he's seven months old. Okay, seven month old golden retriever male, he can definitely hold it. The first thing I have to ask is if is he neutered? Okay, now look. People have different varying opinions on when you should neuter a dog. I am not a vet. By all means, go talk to your vet. The consensus I come to is, you know, usually between six and eight months is when I recommend neutering. That's my personal recommendation. I know everybody's got a different opinion on it. So, you know, take that with take take that with a grain of salt with what you will. Um, but that could be affecting uh, the housebreaking. Sometimes, not always. Okay, so that's the first thing. Eliminate biological factors. If I can eliminate biological factors, we have to go to the behavioral factors. Okay, are you rewarding your dog when he does go outside with a treat? Okay, immediately after he pees, are you rewarding him actually outside? Okay, that's the first thing. Make sure you're giving him a treat and rewarding him. Second thing, make sure when you take him out, you put him on a leash. You're guiding and directing him, trying to encourage him to pee. Do the figure eight motions, getting him circling, right? Uh, make your dog focus on going to the bathroom. The only way to do that, leashing them up. Okay. The other thing is you may need to not, you may need to limit the water a little bit. Not limit, but control it. Um, I don't want your dog to be thirsty. I don't want to starve them of water. Uh, but puppies have a tendency to overdrink. They will drink way too much water to a point that they will fill their bladder that, I mean, pretty much just clear water is coming out. You know, <laughs> when they're relieving themselves, it's so clear that it's clearer than the water you gave them. Uh, they're getting too much water, you know, so control their intake, control their output. Very important. Try to also note the timing. If your dog pees at the door exactly six hours after the last time they went out, exactly six hours, then at five and a half hours, you're going to take your dog out. You know what I mean? Head off that pee before they're doing Because a lot of times they'll be consistent and you won't really notice it, uh, how much how much duration has, uh, has elapsed between the last time they were allowed to relieve themselves. So oftentimes that will play a role, okay? Basically, you want to try to break down anything you can to quantify and qualify their habits, their, their going habits, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that's really what you have to do. Go back to basics, control input and output, uh, intake and output, make sure you're rewarding them when they go outside, make sure you're leashing them up when you go outside and try to find in any patterns you can to decipher and control it better. <music> 
that's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you love what you're hearing, click that five-star rating or leave me a great review. Find me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.